How to Play, Episode 3, Agricola. Welcome back. This is your host, Ryan Sturm. I'm glad you've tuned in. This podcast is about learning and teaching games. In this podcast, I'll give an explanation of how to play Agricola. It'd be helpful to have the game in front of you during the explanation. This podcast could be used in learning how to play the game by yourself or with a group, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game and others. Today we're going to be talking about Agricola. Agricola on Board Game Geek is rated as the greatest game ever. It's rated as number one. Many people enjoy this game. One thing many don't realize is it's a very hard game to teach and learn. So I'm hoping this episode today will be a resource for those of you who'd like to teach others to this game, or perhaps learn the game yourself. Let's get into it. Complexity Rating Agricola is a black diamond game. Don't let anybody tell you different. This is a hard game. There is a quote-unquote family version, but even that game I would not use with kids younger than teenage age, 13, 14 years of age, just because of the amount of rules involved in this game. In fact, if you're going to launch straight into the full game with occupation cards and minor improvements, that's going to push it even up to a double black diamond game. So if you're playing this game, play it with people who realize that this is a two-hour plus game, especially the first time you play it, and it's going to take at least two or three times in order to fully get the strategies and the mechanics of what's going on in this game. If you're playing this game with any new players, I heartily recommend using the family version of the game. This is going to make the game shorter, and it's going to add a few less things for your new players to worry about. There is so much going on in this game that it's almost overwhelming enough without those added 14 cards in your hand. So again, this is a warning, if you are just starting out playing this game, please play it with the family version. In fact, I will be assuming that you are using the family version. I will go over the differences between the family version and the full version in the footnote section of this podcast. So you'll still be able to learn how to play it. You'll just need to listen to the footnotes section as well. I'll remind you of the golden rule of gaming, which I have brought up several times before, which is when you are teaching a game, it's more important that the people learning the game have a good experience. So even though you know how to play the game and you know how to use the cards and you want to get to those four other decks that you have, please, the first time, try the game without cards. You, you might even be surprised. It's quite fun, even without the cards. Let's get to the hook. Part 1. The Hook. What this game is about. Welcome to Agricola. You are a husband and wife living in a quiet, peaceful village, struggling to survive the hardships of farm life, and attempting to have the most impressive farm in the land by the end of the game. This is a worker placement game, meaning you're going to have your two pieces, your husband and your wife, and you're going to place them on the board, choosing which action you'd like to take. 
and that will block other players from taking that action. We will go around twice, and that will be the end of the round. Seems simple enough, huh? Well, we'll see. Because at the certain points, you're going to have to make sure that your family has enough food, while at the same time, you're trying to score points by doing well in particular categories. The categories of growing fields, building pastures, raising crops, having animals, growing your family, and building your house. The trick in this game is you have to do at least a little bit of everything by the end of the game in order to succeed, all without not starving to death in the process. Part 2, the meat. How do you play the game? So, as I said in the hook, all we're doing in this game is you have two pieces, and on your turn you place your piece on the section of the board of what you would like to do. We go around two times, and that's the turn. Most of them will just give you resources. Some of them will let you buy different things. Everyone will lay all their pieces, and it's the end of the round. Then we add a new possible action, and that shows us how the game is progressing. After we do that four times, you'll note that there is a box called Harvest Time. This is the time when you have to feed your family. You'll feed your family, your crops will grow, your animals will breed, and we'll repeat this process all over again. There are several harvest phases until we run out of space on the board, and that triggers the end of the game. And at the end of the game, we'll look at your farm in a variety of categories, and whoever has the most impressive farm will win. So this game, it's all about choosing your actions at the right times. So, what are the actions? First, most of them are just to collect resources. For example, let's say you choose to place your piece in the three wood area. You'll put your token in the three wood section, and you'll claim the three brown circles that are in that area and put it in your stock. The other thing you need to know is that most of these resource spaces are accumulators. If you see an arrow in that space, that means those spaces accumulate more resources each turn. For example, if no one took the three wood space on the first turn, they would get six wood on the next turn if someone went there. Same thing with the clay, the reed, and the fishing spot. You'll notice some spaces have a plus sign instead. Those indicate that those areas do not accumulate, such as the grain spot and the day laborer. Those pay a fixed amount no matter when you go on those spaces. Collecting resources is the most basic spaces. There will be at least 16 spaces for you to choose from on your turn, and they will just grow throughout the game. In order to make sense of these choices, I'm going to talk about them in the order of why you would take those spaces. Let's start with food engines. You're going to need to find a way to make some food. There are two main paths for doing this raising animals and cooking them up, or growing wheat and baking it into bread. These are both multi-step problems. Let's go over how to do each of those different things. 
First, let's talk about raising animals, as that is the easier of the two paths. First, you will need wood, so you'll need to go on a wood space. Then you'll need to get some fences, so you'll need to go on the fences space. In order to buy fences, you need one wood per fence. So you'll need a minimum of four fences to have enough room for your animals. If you build a one square fence out of four pieces of fence, that's enough to hold two animals. Each square holds two of the same type of animal. So if you spent six wood to build a two square pasture, that would be enough to hold four animals and so on. So you've got a spot for your animals. You can go on sheep now and collect those sheep and put them into your pastures. Now if you have yet to build a pasture, you can put one animal into your house. Any extras are discarded. Now you have animals, that's great. You can't eat raw meat though. You gotta have some way to cook it. So that's what the major improvements are for. You will need some kind of major improvement with clay. So you'll need to go on clay. And then you'll need to go on the spot that says major improvement. When you go on major improvement, you have a few choices. You can buy a fireplace or a cooking hearth. They offer different food production. The cooking hearths are a little more expensive, but do offer a little bit better food production. So the most basic one is the fireplace. If you're the first one there, you can buy a fireplace for two clay. Now you have a fireplace and you have sheep. Hooray, you have a way to make food. And the great thing about this is you can cook up food anytime you're hungry. It doesn't matter at what point of the game. You just tell your fellow players, I'm cooking up sheep. You throw one sheep into the bin, and usually that's going to net you two food. You'll take two food back. You have more vegetarian preferences? Well, you're going to have to look into baking bread. Believe it or not, that's even a little bit more complex than cooking up animals. The first thing you're going to need is some grain seeds. To get grain seeds, you're going to have to go on grain. You also need a place to plant those grain seeds, so you're going to have to go on plow field. Then you're going to have to sow grain. You'll have to go on the sow grain space. Now if you can, you can sow more than one grain if you have two grain and two fields, and that will make it a little more efficient for you. Sowing grain is really neat in this game. You put your one grain token in, and it automatically grows. You take two more grain tokens and place it on top, so you have a stack of three. So now you have grain in your fields, but you have to wait to harvest them. You'll get one of those back at every harvest time. Alright, you still haven't really made any food. Grain is worth food. It, it's worth one food at any time, and you can eat the grain, but that's going to take way too much time. So you're going to need an oven to bake it in. An oven is a major improvement. The two normal ovens in this game are a clay oven and a stone oven, but both require some clay and some stone. So you're going to need to go to clay and stone. Then you're going to need to go to major improvement. Now you can bake. Now unlike cooking up sheep, baking bread must be done at a specific time. There's two times you can bake bread. Either right when you buy the oven, 
or when you go on a spot that says baked bread. So usually I try to have some bread ready to go when I do buy that oven so I can bake the bread immediately. Keep in mind if you get to that harvest time and you have grain and you have an oven, you're not going to be able to make any extra food. You must go on baked bread to bake bread. Now with those two processes, keep in mind there's some flexibility in the order of that. For example, you could plow the field first and then get the grain. Same thing with the animals. You might get wood first and then get clay first, build the fences, build the fireplace, and then get the sheep. So the order, you're going to have to play it by ear based on what's available. Great, so you've got a food engine developing. The other thing you're going to want to do as soon as possible is have a baby. The advantages of this are obvious. You have two tokens to use. When you have a baby, you now have three tokens to use. If you manage to do that first, you're going to be at quite an advantage over the other players. The trick is to do this while at the same time developing your food so you don't starve. How do you have a baby? It's not easy. You need room for the baby. So in order to build a room, you're going to need some building materials. Building materials are generally wood and reeds. For each room you want to build, it costs five wood and two reeds. So you need to get those resources. Because of this, reeds can be very important. You can't grow your family unless you have some reeds. So reeds can be toughly fought over at the beginning of the game. Is toughly a word? Oh well. So you've got those resources. Now you can go on build room. You go on the build room space. You can build as many rooms as you can afford. In fact, it's a good trick to build two with ten wood and four reeds all at once to be a little more efficient. Now that you have that extra room, you can put your space on family growth. When you put a token on family growth, you take another token out of your bag and place it on top of that token. And starting next turn, you will have three people to play instead of two. So you're thinking, ha ha, I have an advantage over you. I will crush you. Well, the only problem with that is now you have more to feed. Each person in your family requires two food at each harvest time. So if you have three people in your family, now you have six food that you have to pay at each harvest instead of four. Another process you're going to want to do at some point is to renovate your house. You need to renovate it from wood to clay and then from clay to stone. You cannot renovate directly from wood to stone. The only reason to do this is it's worth a lot of victory points at the end of the game. In order to renovate, you'll need clay or stone, depending on which renovation you're doing, and one reed. You're going to need a clay and stone for every room you want to renovate, and one reed token. So if I had a wood house made of four rooms, I would need four clay tokens and one reed token. Then I would need to go on to the renovate space. One thing that's good to know is that a lot of times people will wait till later to renovate their house. Once you renovate, 
if you want to build more rooms, you have to build those rooms of the same kind. So if I renovate to a clay house and I want to build a room, now I have to build clay rooms instead of just wooden rooms. And clay can be a little bit harder to get typically than wood. Let's talk about the other actions that we didn't get to yet. There's a start player section on the board. This can be very important. By going on start player, you now take this yellow cylinder, and the yellow cylinder means that you will go first. You randomly determine a start player at the beginning of the game, and if no one ever takes that start player space, then the same person is going to start every turn, which is a significant advantage. So usually with someone's second piece or sometimes third piece later in the game, they will steal that start player token so that they can get that juiciest first spot that they need at the beginning. It's especially powerful later on as some very powerful actions hit the table. There are two other animals, uh, wild boar and cows, and they work just like the sheep. And it's important to know that you want to have at least one of each of the different kinds of animals on your board at the end of the game or you will lose points. Then about the middle of the game, vegetables become available. Vegetables work similar to grain in that you need to get a vegetable seed and then plant it in a field. Vegetables only get one extra on a stack, so you'll have a stack of two, which you can then harvest. Vegetables cannot, of course, be baked in as bread, but you can cook them up in a fireplace or a cooking hearth for a good amount of food. On the build room spot, you're also available to build stables if you have the resources. What stables do is you place them in a pasture and they double the capacity of that pasture. So one square pasture usually can hold two animals. If you put a stable in there, it can now hold four. Stables are also able to be placed on empty spaces on your farm board. The reason you'd want to do that is because any empty space you have on your farm board at the end of the game is one penalty point. You also are then allowed to keep one animal in that unfenced stable. Some of the actions are and or actions on the cards, and those let you do obviously what it says. You can do either one or both, and in fact, this is a game of, of efficiency, so if you can do both, work it out so that you can do both actions, that's what you want to do. For example, the sew and bake bread action. You really want to be able to do both of those at the same time if you can, so that you're saving one extra play. Now some of the spaces are then actions. They might say, renovate, then do this. In that case, you're only allowed to do the second part of the action if you're able to actually carry out the first. This is a good time to mention that if you are unable to actually carry out the action, you're not allowed to take that action. For example, if I couldn't build rooms or even build a stable, I could not go to that spot just to block it from other players. Though you are able to, for example, if there are seven sheep on a square, take the seven sheep spot, put the one in your house, and all the others are discarded because you are, in a sense, using the action. Another commonly missed rule is that if there were seven sheep on the sheep spot and you had a fireplace, 
you could go on the sheep spot, take all the seven sheep, and pour them directly into your fireplace and convert them into food, even though you don't have a spot on your board to place them. So the major improvement section, we talked about you might go there to get a fireplace, a cooking hearth, or an oven. There are also some other improvements there. Some of them give you ways to convert the other resources, wood, clay, and stone into food, and give you bonus points for having those resources at the end of the game. And one of them gives you extra food and a whole lot of bonus points. This is a good time to mention that the cards themselves are worth victory points. If you look at the major improvements, they'll have a gold coin on them with a number in them. That number tells you the number of victory points that card is worth for having purchased. So let's review the format of how this game works. You'll randomly determine a start player. They will pick one of the actions on the board. They'll take their token and, and pick a spot and generally collect resources or do whatever the spot says. You'll go around clockwise until everyone has placed both their players. Then you have to reload the board. Every section with an arrow gets more resources. Like I said, some of them will start to pile up until someone decides to take that big pile. Then we get a new action. We'll flip up another card from the round cards that have actions on them. Which actions are going to become available are on the player aids provided with the game. Then we'll take our two tokens and we'll do it all over again. And we'll do that four times until we get to that first harvest phase. At that point, like I said earlier, you must have enough food to feed your family. At the beginning, it most likely will be four food. You get to start the game with three food, two food if you're the start player. And so getting that one or two food the first round generally isn't too difficult. But as the game goes on, the harvest phases come quicker and quicker. And that's why it's very important to get that food engine going as soon as you can, either by raising animals or by baking bread so that you have food so you can concentrate on trying to get victory points. Let's talk about that harvest phase. The harvest phase has three steps. The first of which is harvesting. Duh. You're going to take any of your planted fields, that is the, the plowed fields with the stacks of either wheat or vegetables on them, and you'll get to take the top disc there and put it back in your stock. Then the second step is the feeding phase. Everyone will count the number of uh, people they have in their family, and they need two food for each of those people. So four, six, eight, or ten, generally. Now there is a small caveat here. If you just had the kid on the last round before the harvest, say for example round seven, which is the last round before that harvest phase, and you, you took the family growth action on that round. Your farmer is considered still a baby, since it didn't get to take any actions yet. And he, he or she, I suppose, only requires one food. So if you had two adults and one baby, you would only require five food. You don't have enough food? Well, that's a serious problem. There are begging cards. You get a begging card not just for being short, 
but for each food you're short, you will get one begging card. The begging card is minus three victory points. And since the winning total for this game ranges somewhere between 30 and 50 victory points, three victory points per card is a significant chunk. It's hard to win this game with a few begging cards. Then is the breeding phase. And this is how your animal engine is really going to work. If you manage to save two of one type of animal, they have a baby. You have to have room to put that baby, of course. But if you do, you get to take that third uh, sheep and put it in your, one of your pastures. A few rules on doing this. If you have four sheep or six sheep, you don't get two or three babies respectively. No matter how many sheep you have, the m most babies you can get of one type of animal is one. So if you had five sheep and four pigs and three cattle, you'd be eligible to get one of each animal, but not more than that. The other thing you need to know is that the feeding occurs before the breeding, which can be quite frustrating. Because if you eat that second animal before the breeding phase occurs, you don't get the animal. You're also not allowed to eat the baby sheep because the baby sheep will not come until after that feeding phase. Now in the next harvest phase, you of course would be able to eat that animal. So the trick with both of these engines, both the animal engine and the bread engine, is being able to keep enough animals so that you can keep producing more animals so you don't have to keep going back to those spaces. Same thing with the baking bread. You want to be producing enough grain so that when you, when you plant, you're planting the things that you've already harvested so you don't have to keep going back to get more grain seeds. This is called efficiency, which is the name of the game. After the harvest phase, you reload the resources on the board, get those family members ready to go, and keep going until you get to the last harvest phase of the game. Look at your player aid with the overview of the round cards. You'll see the actions that will come out. To start with, some basic actions of sheep, sewing, bread baking, fences. When we get into stage two, that's when family growth becomes available. Then stage three shows vegetable, uh, cows don't come out till stage four, and when we get to stage five and six, you have some really powerful special actions. One that allows you to plow and sow with one action. One that allows you to take family growth even without building a room. And one that allows you to renovate your house and build fences on the very last turn of the game. So keep in mind those powerful actions near the end of the game. As you see, as the pr game progresses, you're going to have fewer and fewer rounds from four to three to two to one in order to produce enough food to feed your family. The game's assuming that you've developed this food engine and or have more family members in order with to develop enough food and to acquire the other things that you're trying to get to score points during the game. Who wins? Well, I heard someone say once that look around at people's farm boards and whoever's farm looks the most impressive is pretty much the winner. And that seems to be pretty much always the way it works out. As I said in the beginning, you need to get a little bit of everything. Because the way the scoring works, if you have nothing of something, you get a negative one point. 
If you have at least one of almost everything, it's going to get you at least one point. If you look at the scoring chart on the other side of your player aid, it will display this. So, fields, pastures, grain, vegetables, sheep, wild boar, and cattle, you need to get at least one of these things. And with fields, you need to actually have two in order to score a point. Otherwise, it's a turnaround of two points. Then you can get more and more points, up to a total of four points for each category. Keep in mind that there is a maximum point where you'll keep scoring points. So if you get 27 grain, you're still only going to get four points, the same as if you were to only get eight. So keep that in mind that there is a ceiling to each of the categories. There are other things that score you points. Most notably, if you have a space with nothing in it, that's going to be minus one. So this could be minus three, minus five, even minus seven points if you're not keeping in mind that you need to keep building pastures and fields and houses to fill up that board. You get one point per stable that is fenced. You also get points for your house. If you have clay house, you get one point per room. If you have a stone house, you get two points per room. And a very significant portion of your score is the size of your family. Three points per family member. So if you don't procreate at all, just two family members, you only get six. Whereas if you get to the full five family members, that will score you a maximum of 15 points. It will be good to point out what pieces are limited in the game. The only pieces that are limited in the game are the colored pieces. That is your family members, offenses, stables. If you run out of other pieces such as the grain or the wood which is pretty common there are tokens to help you represent more four times wood for example. So that's how the scoring works. There's a little score chart one person will total all that up and whoever has the most points is the winner of the game. Part 3, the hamster. How do you win this game? So is your head spinning after 30 minutes straight of different directions? Yeah, mine was the first time I learned this game too. So listen, here's what you need to focus on. Remember, you need an engine to make food. There's two major ways to do that. Raising animals and cooking them up, or getting grain and baking it. Try to stick with one direction or the other. If you try to do both at the same time, it's going to make it more difficult on yourself and you're going to be more inefficient. At the same time, while you're doing that, try to get that next family member as soon as you can. Remember five wood and two reeds to get the house and then to get the next family member. This is going to give you a huge advantage if you're the first or even second person to get that extra family member. Who knows, if you're doing really well, you can have four people in your family before other players even have two. Now, if you do that at the cost of starving yourself, well, that's going to be no good for you. But this game is also very tricky because you can't have too stringent of a plan because you're only allowed to do what other players let you do. If both the other players decide that they're going to raise sheep, and you want to try to raise sheep too, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. So maybe going for that baking bread option might be a, 
a better choice because that sew-in baked bread spot is going to be open a heck of a lot more. It will become pretty clear that this game is all about prioritizing. What do you have to take first? It has to do with what you need, but also with what your opponents need. You might really need a spot on the board, but if no one else at the table needs that spot on the board, you might ignore it to the third or fourth action you take instead of the first. Whereas if you know everybody's going to try to go on family growth that turn, you're going to want to hit that spot first. It's easy to look at the other players to see if they have room for another family member, those sorts of decisions to decide when you need to take something. Similar with crucial spots as taking baked bread, taking a large pile of animals, etc. In the meat section, I also mention the word efficiency. This game's all about efficiency. If you can do something with one action instead of two, that's really going to give you an edge over the other players. For example, building two houses at once instead of one, sowing two fields at once instead of one, sowing and baking bread when you go on that sow and bake bread spot. Those sorts of things is really going to help your game. The first time you play this game it might be a little bit of a struggle, but that's what makes this game fun. It's a very challenging game, especially when other people are desperately working hard trying to do the exact same things that you are. So good luck. That's it. My advice, set up a food engine, at the same time grow your family as soon as possible, and be efficient. Have fun. Part 4, Footnotes. So, you played the family version, and you're ready to tackle the full version of the game. Congratulations. What? Wait, what's that? You didn't listen to my warning about playing the family version, and you're going to try to play the full version right away? Oh, you people. Alright, well either way, let's get into the full version of the game. The full version of the game is exactly like the regular version with the addition of 14 cards. At the beginning of the game, you're going to get two sets of cards, seven occupation cards and seven minor improvement cards. Everyone will spend a few minutes looking through those cards because that might help them direct their gameplay for that game. If you've never played before, it's important to know that usually you're not going to play all of these cards. You're probably just going to play about two or three from each deck. So there's more prioritizing here. At the beginning of the game, you're going to want to look through and figure out which cards are the most powerful and or which cards work very well together. And so I usually sort them out and put the two or three that I'm most interested in using at the front of each pile. When you look at these cards, you're also going to be thinking about whether these cards are pointing you in a certain direction. I mentioned several times in the meet that there's two major directions to focus at the beginning, whether you're looking at raising animals or baking bread. And you could have several cards in your hand that encourage you to look at, say, maybe baking bread. Maybe you have several cards that assist you with baking. Maybe you have a card that lets you bake at a extra times. Maybe you have a special oven in your hand and if you have lots of those cards that's going to tell you yeah I should really try to be a baker today. Let's talk about how to use those cards. The occupation cards 
typically are a bit more powerful than the minor improvement cards. The occupation cards are played by going on a spot that says occupation. You put your spot on there and there will be a cost of food depending on the directions of the space. Usually it's one or two. You play that and then you put the occupation card in front of you. Read the directions to all the other players so that they know what it does. Some of them may give you extra resources, some of them may give you bonus points. There's a wide variety of what occupation cards do. The occupation cards have two symbols on them that let's look at briefly. A number in a colored square is going to tell you how many players that that card should be used with. There is one plus and three plus. So before you play a game, depending on the number of players, say you're only playing with two players, you're going to have to search through and only find the one plus cards to use for that. If you're playing with five or four, you can use any of the cards in that instance. The other thing you'll see is a letter in a circle, and that just simply refers to which deck the cards come out of. E stands for easy, I stands for interactive, and K stands for complex. There are other promotional decks out there that are also available. When you're playing with the cards, the occupation and the minor improvement cards, I really recommend using one full deck and not mixing the decks together. The reason for this is that many of the cards depend on one another coming up in the deck. And if you have a certain card that depends on another card coming up and you've mixed 300 cards together, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to get those combinations to happen. So the decks are best played, in my opinion, individually. Next are the minor improvement cards. The minor improvement cards are usually played along with another action. The most common is starting player and a minor improvement. Some of the action spaces allow you to do some action like say renovation or family growth and then as a bonus you'll get to do a minor improvement card afterwards. If you look at the minor improvement cards, if you look in the upper left in sort of a light orange triangular type shape, there might be a prerequisite for the card. For example, you might have to have played two occupations, or you might have to have one sheep on your farm. It could be blank, too, depending on the card. In the upper right hand, there's usually a cost associated with most minor improvements, something like one wood or one brick. It could be very expensive, depending on how powerful the card is. If you look to the lower left of the picture, there's a number in a coin. And that number is the number of victory points you get for having played that card. Not all of them have these victory points, but many of them do. Some of the minor improvements are pass cards. And they'll have arrows, big arrows on the card to indicate this. And those are less powerful cards, but they're usually pretty cheap. What happens is you'll play those cards and then they'll instruct you to pass them to the next player on your left. So these cards will get circulated around the table. How fast or slow depends on how good they are, frankly. So that's pretty much all you need to know about the, those cards. You will get 14. You'll never get any more than that during the game. Just be sure, like I said earlier, put the ones you really are interested in playing at the front of your hand to remind yourself. And frequently check back and look at your hand because situations may change, whereas a card that you didn't think was going to be very good because of a particular situation going on, you may have to change your mind and say, hey, you know what? That could be a pretty good card right now. Have fun playing the full game of Agricola.
All right, so we made it three episodes down now. I really hope you're enjoying this series. I hope you found it useful and beneficial. If you're interested in hosting, sponsoring this podcast, please contact me. You can send me a geek mail or contact me through the guild. If you're not a member of the How to Play Guild, go check it out. There's a lot of great information there, including a link to reading my article about teaching games. Having a lot of fun doing these series. If you have suggestions for particular games you would like to see, uh, please let me know. So this has been your host, Ryan Stern, and I'm signing off. I will see you next time. Have fun farming those fields.